and welcome to The Courageous Mama. I hope you've had a good week. Mine's been up and down because I'm in the middle of an enormous essay assignment and it is draining my hours away. But <laughs> I'm loving having Henry and Charlie back from Brazil. Missing Tom, who's now touring Vietnam on a moped, soon to be joined by my husband. And who isn't loving this glorious sunshine? Eating outside feels very European, doesn't it? I know that my Australian and American listeners and New Zealand listeners are used to that. But here in windy, cold England, it is something to get excited about. Before I share what I'm about to introduce to you, I would love you, if you feel able to, to go down to the review section and pop on a comment, something nice. And if you've got someone who you think would love to be encouraged, empowered or equipped as a parent please send them one of the podcasts that you've enjoyed or this one. This week, I'm going to introduce you to Louise Williams. Now, some of you may know her as she's a popular blogger. And if you ever find yourself on TikTok, she's viral there too. And there's so much I could talk to Louise about. But today we're talking ADHD. And Louise is going to share her story of discovering as an adult that there was an explanation for so much of the muddle and confusion in her life. I need to say that this is not a clinical discussion. Neither Louise or I claim to have professional perspective on ADHD. I'm aware there are some opposing programmes out there at the moment. I know that there's some documentaries, some life stories, and also this week Panorama did a piece on misdiagnosis or perhaps overdiagnosis by some private clinics. As Louise points out, this is a journey and today this is her journey and she's only claiming her own perspective and her own experience. But the reason I'm bringing it is because there have been so many diagnoses recently and it's just great, isn't it, if you can get someone to speak on it with clarity. It's topical. It's really helpful. There are so many, particularly women, being diagnosed at the moment. And I think with an ignorant perspective, you can make the mistake that I did, which I'm about to reveal to you. We cover all sorts of things and we touch on neurodiversity, eating disorders, NHS waiting times are a, a big topic at the moment. And the points made in the podcast are simply a part of the broader conversation. And as we go along, you may recognise things that we discuss and think, oh gosh, where does that leave me? Where does that leave my child? So do your research, do your deep diving and chat with your GP if you have concerns. And here's my conversation with Louise. I was chatting to a friend the other day and she said, oh, I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, gosh, you and everybody. And yes. she rightly corrected me and said, actually, don't do that because it minimises it. And it's been a really big journey for me. So here yeah. you are today to give us... And, and it wasn't you, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> but where do we begin with this journey? Do you want to tell us what it is, first of all? So ADHD. Um, so it used to be ADD, so Attention Deficit Disorder and Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, but it has been reclassified now. So it's ADHD, but there's three types. So there's inattentive, which is um, more of your daydreaming, um, your 
inability to focus, um, time blindness, so you know, being late and losing things. Um, that's kind of a little bit more, this is quite a loose description, but that's more inattentive. Um, and then hyperactive is a little bit more your classic, how people, um, the stereotype of ADHD, which is being very physically hyperactive um, and, you know, getting into trouble and, you know, and generally the stereotype is little boys getting tr into trouble at school um, and then combined which is a mixture of both of them um, I think of it as sort of hyperactive is, is your body is more hyperactive but within attentive it's more your thoughts that are hyperactive um, ah, so, so a lot internal of it's internal or external yeah yeah in a, in a kind of least least way yes. um, and uh, combined is me so you're combined yes so when did you get diagnosed? I got diagnosed um, at 37. I had no idea at all. It wasn't on my radar at all. But lockdown uh, sent me nearly to the point of breakdown, really. Um, Why? So it was very boring. Um, there was It was the same every day. Um, I was with my children all, all day, trying to run a business and home school them both and um a lot of the ways so the reason that it gets missed quite a lot uh, especially in in people that present more as inattentive is that you find different coping mechanisms so it's um so adhd is a the body doesn't make enough dopamine so that's fundamentally what it is so you don't have um, as much dopamine as a neurotypical or someone without ADHD and the dopamine you you then go and seek dopamine so it can be things like sugar and carbs um, so my weight fluctuated my whole life especially during stressful periods I would put on a lot of weight also things like thrill seeking so maybe speeding in your car starting arguments with people people get into online battles and go and have arguments with people online because that gives them a bit of dopamine um yeah um relationships you know going out um sleeping with people there uh, people get dopamine that way and um one of mine was shopping um impulse buying yeah ordering stuff online and I'd get the dopamine from ordering it and quite often by the time it arrived I didn't even open the parcel because I didn't it, it was done then um, and then the guilt Gosh, would kick even in. as you're speaking people are coming to mind yeah <laughs> Thinking, oh my word <laughs> yes that's, terrible. That's, that's not to say that you know they're under a diagnosis but it, it's just fascinating so just to drill down on the dopamine issue I get that the, the speeding and the adventure side yeah what does the chocolate do they all just give you dopamine so you, you're people call it okay. sugar rush so sugar high is that a dopamine high because i always yes. think of dopamine as being the little bit of excitement that you get just before the thrill the kind of unexpected unpredictable yeah piece. um well that's a bit of adrenaline as well isn't it just the kind of anticipation but the you know i used to actually get excited about um you know if, if i was going to eat sugar and I'd have that like, oh, excitement about it. And then I'd eat it um, and then feel terrible after. Um, so then the guilt kicks in. But you, um, the other things are, you know, like planning a night out, booking a holiday. All of these things are taken away in lockdown. 
So yes. that's why. Yes. But um, it's that little thrill that you get like from these things, and and that's dopamine. And the problem is, is that your levels you're starting lower. So you might get enough dopamine from these things to bring you up to a neurotypicals baseline, but that's obviously not enough because someone neurotypical gets a high from these things and you just get to a level and so long term that's when things like depression and anxiety and OCD and things like that come into play um, because you're always kind of on the back foot so just to clarify so there we are in lockdown it's Mm -hmm. all a bit flat isn't it yeah everything's the same So are you saying there are enough things in a day to get somebody like me onto a satisfactory level of dopamine, but you need more excitement to get there? Yeah, so basically you have to work a lot harder just to get to a bare minimum. Right, so what did you do in lockdown to get you to Um, enjoy your days? Well, I didn't really, Um, but things like getting outside help a lot so getting out in the fresh air I started with a personal trainer um, so that was really really helpful and I started with him and the first thing I said was if I get bored I'm done um so he made every session different <laughs> um good man I put on about a good two stone um, in yeah because we were baking bread and I think a lot of people and... had a, a lockdown ring didn't they yeah but yeah yours would have been yeah, because you're just like mindlessly eating to, yes. you know, get through through the day. But that is ultimately because I got to a point where, you know, I'd I'd been back to the doctor, I can't even tell you how many times for depression, for anxiety, postnatal depression, and um, I'd been treated for all of them. You know, I was, I think I was first put on antidepressants at fourteen, and they would work for a little bit. Because my psychiatrist, when I got diagnosed, said if you give someone a massive rush of serotonin, they're going to feel better, but it's not going to last because it's not serotonin that you don't have. It's dopamine. Um, And um, he likened it to diabetes. And he was saying that um, because I was hesitant about starting medication. And he said to me, well, it's, you know, if somebody has diabetes, their body doesn't make enough insulin and the body gets sick so you give them the insulin and the body gets better and he said with um adhd you don't make enough dopamine and it's the mind that gets sick and you give the you give the dopamine and the mind gets better gosh and i want to ask you how you do medicate but Mm -hmm. before i get to that stage what happened that your doctor suddenly after all these visits made a connection well this is this is a big thing at the moment and there's there's a lot of campaigning going on because um doctors get um on average one hour of training um on adhd and uh, a lot of the doctor's knowledge is very outdated and um the waiting times for assessment are up to seven years in some areas of the uk so i knew i'd felt my whole life that something wasn't quite right and I'd just come across, I suppose, various things that pointed me towards neurodiversity. And um, I was actually on the waiting list for an autism assessment because I thought, well, I, I relate to enough of this to make me think possibly, but not enough. It wasn't quite enough, but I thought, well, I'm going to go down this road. 
And I spoke to my best friend and I said, you know, I, I and you know, autism, I'm thinking. And she said, have you looked at ADHD? And I said, well, no, because that's, you know, boys jumping out the window, you know, like at school. And she went, oh, read about it in women. And I was like, oh, okay. And I did. And I was just mind blown because it was me. I just read about me. And what jumped up? Can you give me three that really made you say, ah? Or was it that um, there were lots of them? All of it. Mm. Yeah. It, it was literally like, oh my gosh and then I joined some Facebook groups and every po- I could have written every post in there it, it was absolutely mind-blowing and then everybody goes down a rabbit hole and goes down on this this research rabbit hole and the problem is there's a big problem with imposter syndrome so you feel like you're looking for a reason you know um, I'm, I'm just bad at being an adult and you're looking for an excuse and so you have to work really hard to convince yourself that it could be a thing. And then once you've done that, you have to go and convince the doctor. So the doctors are the gatekeepers for assessment. Uh, the assessments must be done by a psychiatrist. They, they can't be done by, by a doctor. So you have to go and you have to convince the doctor. And the trouble is that because of all the comorbid conditions, you know, they'll say, well, all this sounds like anxiety. Let's just alight on comorbid for a minute, because mm-hmm. that, that is the similarity with lots of other different conditions, isn't it? Can you list what some of those it's are? conditions that that um, run alongside, so not always, but there's, there's a high likelihood of the conditions running alongside each other. So that's what that means. So um, depression, anxiety, OCD, disordered eating. There can also be physical symptoms as well. Uh, extreme fatigue there's quite a few different things but those are probably the main ones and chronic fatigue syndrome um yes it can present like chronic fatigue syndrome yeah I'm not an expert in that area whether it whether they're two separate conditions or whether the exhaustion of living with ADHD can make you feel the same symptoms so I'm not not overly clear in in those areas and then why would you say that it would be linked with eating disorders. Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah, so this is just personal experience, which all of my stories are really, because I'm not trained. So there's impulse control is a big problem. So you uh, maybe you buy a big thing of donuts, and the idea is you're going to share them with someone or maybe you're going to eat them over a few days, but you get a compulsion to just eat them all. And then suddenly they're gone. And sometimes you're not even aware that you're doing it. So you buy something and you open it and have one and then you arrive somewhere, like maybe you've been in the car and the whole the whole thing's gone because you're just eating on autopilot. But also with, you know, things like sugar giving you dopamine. And also the, the big issue is that when you live with ADHD undiagnosed for a long time, um, it destroys your self-esteem and your self-worth and you then can feel very uncomfortable in your own body and you are trying to find ways to make yourself fit in. I used to call myself a personality chameleon because I would change almost everything about myself to fit in with various friendship groups. Um, you know, I would change my, my hair, my clothes, my music taste. Even my accent at times, I would change my accent depending on who I was with. You don't really have a very solid sense of self. Mm, 
people. And so when you went to the doctor, yes, they referred you to a psychiatrist at that point? Um, they said it sounds a lot like anxiety. And I okay. said, I know, but I have been back lots of times and I have done a lot of research and um, I really, really think that this is what's going on. And so they referred me to um psychiatrist and in england we have something called right to choose so so maybe you have like a, a knee problem and you know that there's a an amazing knee surgeon in newcastle mm. so you have the right to say i'd like to be referred to him and i'd come across a, um, a company called psychiatry uk who have a contract with the nhs in london and you can ask to be referred there and their waiting lists are much shorter and it's all done online. So I was very lucky and I got in before it got more kind of well known and people were, you know, there's a lot more awareness about ADHD now and a lot more people are discovering that that's what's been going on with them their whole life. I had my assessment within a week, Gosh. which is, yeah, absolutely incredible. Um I got diagnosed and then I started medication a week later. And what made the psychiatrist sure that this was ADHD, not um, anxiety? Well, they do an assessment. You get a list of questions that they send through beforehand and one that you get somebody that knows you very well to do. So it could be a parent or guardian or you know somebody that's known you. But a lot of people worry because they don't have that. But it can just be a very close friend or a partner or so it's somebody else that knows you and they check through all of that before you go on. It's, um, it was an hour um, assessment and they do more questions and just generally discuss your you know, your past history and they go go on that. So just to ask you a very medical and ignorant question, yeah. if it's actually specifically lack of dopamine in the system, is there not a medical way of checking that? Yeah, so I've seen some stuff where they can do brain scans and things. However, I think the cost of that is probably what stops them. So there has been research where they, where they scan a, a brain of someone with ADHD and you can see... You know, um, I'm sure there's a lot of, of ways, but it, I think it comes down to financial. And so what medication did they give you? So there's a few different types of medication and it's almost like there's two sort of families. This is where my knowledge falls down because I only really know about the one I'm on. But there's um, sort of amphetamine-based one. Is that the Ritalin? Uh, so Ritalin isn't used so much in the UK. So there's something that seems to be the, the one I'm on called Elvance or Vivance, I think, in America. And it's it's worked very well for me. And do you know what it actually does for you? It uh, gives you dopamine. So you're literally ta taking dopamine? Um, it's not it's a... actually amphetamine based. So right. amphetamines, bizarrely, slow down an ADHD brain. Whereas they would speed up some a neurotypical's brain, so so it's essentially it's you know, like speed amphetamines. It was interesting because the imposter syndrome is so strong that I really struggled to believe that I had ADHD, and I thought maybe I'd answered all the questions to get the answer I wanted, and maybe my psychiatrist, you know, I even thought like, is this a proper company? Is it some sort of scam? And um, but I took my medication and I remember like the the first one I took when it kicked in I just remember thinking 
oh my gosh, this is how everyone else has been adulting. And, and how did it feel? Mind-blowing. I liken it to you know, a post office when you've got the corrals and everyone's lined up in the... In the zigzags. In the zigzags, like the yeah. Um, and there's a woman at the counter and, and it used to feel before like all of the people in the queue were all shouting at her like I need this I need that and it felt like that went quiet and one person would step forward and present their thought and then move on and then the next person would step forward and I thought oh my gosh I don't have all that noise in my head I used to have you know um everything I needed to do everything I hadn't done that embarrassing thing that happened when I was 12 um, berating myself that you know this you have a horrible voice in your head when you have when you live with ADHD for so long you end up with a horrible inner voice and it also sounds like as well as the inner voice and the to-do list that they don't prioritize that you're, oh, you're just no. clamoring yeah. for your brain attention yes yeah that's a big problem with ADHD is, is executive function just cutting into our podcast this week to say I've been thoroughly enjoying my 15-minute chats with some of you, my listeners. It's a little perk of buying the book Parenting for Life. Connected parenting, boundaries without the drama. If that appeals to you, you can buy the book at a discounted price through my website. You can jump onto a 15-minute chat about your family and something that you'd like to change for the better in family life. Or you can book yourself some sessions that will change the trajectory of family life and leave your children with a legacy of peaceful, connected parenting. Now back to the podcast. So, you know, I used to, to look at a room that was messy and I literally couldn't work out how to make it not messy. So maybe I'd take some stuff that needed to go back to another room and then I'd get distracted by something in there. And then I'd go, you know, and I, it was never a case of following through a step So you plan. couldn't do it in a linear fashion? No, it was no. All... And then it would just become totally overwhelming. Yeah. And things like um, task paralysis are a big thing. So when you need to start something and you just can't. And it looks like you're just being lazy, you know, you're just sort of sat there and, you know, you're on your phone or whatever, but inside you're going, just do it, just do the thing, you need to do the thing, get up, what's wrong with you, why aren't you doing it? People say like, well, you know, what's the difference between executive function and being lazy? And I was thinking, if you're being lazy, you're ma you make a choice. I'm not going to do this today, I'm going to chill out and watch a film. And then you sit and watch a film. But with executive function, you want to do it. You, you know you need to do it. The, the pressure, the expectation of whoever's waiting for you is weighing on you so heavily. So you might also sit and watch a film, but you're not watching it. You don't enjoy any of that time. I, I never used to sit down because I was always, as soon as I sat down, I'd be like, why are you sitting down? You haven't done all the things you needed to do. Like you need to get back up and keep going. And So when you take the medication, yeah. how quickly does it kick in? So I take two kinds now. One's a quick release and one's a long, longer release. I need it for the school run. So it kicks in in about 20 minutes or so. So I'll get up, I make my smoothie, I take my medication, I sit down. And there's a, there's a bit of a standing joke about ADHD that you leave drawers and cupboard doors open and they're all like half open. 
And uh, so I make, make my breakfast, sit down. I've taken my meds, I drink my smoothie, and it's almost like I get switched on. And I'll kind of sit up straight, I'll look round, I'll go shut all the cupboard doors and drawers and everything. Wow, power up. And yeah, it is literally like powering up. But uh, again, coming back to being female, female hormones um, are a big, big, big problem because they knock out my medication. So they. And it, is that the closer you get to the menopause? So this is once a month, but actually, interestingly, a lot of women get their diagnosis around perimenopause and menopause because um, not certain on the facts, but there's links between oestrogen and dopamine. So the more the oestrogen drops, the less dopamine you're able to make. And a lot of women get diagnosed. I get lots of messages from women and some of them are, you know, like late 60s and they just said, oh my gosh, I've just realised now, I understand now my entire life. You know, older, like, we're in the late 70s and things. And you just think, wow. We're a bit behind, aren't we? Yeah. So tell me, because one of our children, we, you know, the others always say he's got ADHD. And I, I, don't, I don't doubt that he's somewhere on that spectrum. But we were very cautious about the whole medicating side because we had friends whose children had gone on Ritalin and sort of they'd felt slightly zombified by the experience. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, what do you do? Do you lose part of yourself or do you go on medication? So I think I'm very behind the times. I'm fascinated to hear that your medication hasn't limited you. I feel that my medication has made me more me than I've ever felt able to be before because I was so, I was so conscious of what other people thought of me People, extreme people pleasing is a big problem with ADHD. You're constantly trying to fit in. So you, you, you feel different. I just felt like I was out of step with the world, with everyone else, but I didn't know why. I didn't know how to fix it. So you end up trying to be what you think everyone else wants you to be. What was it about you that felt unpresentable? Was it the fact that you couldn't get on with tasks or I think for me socially I always just felt like it, it's really hard to kind of explain but so a lot of the thing with ADHD is is you interrupt people you finish people's sentences like I'll, I'll have a thought in my head and it, I know that if I don't say it it will just you know I have to get it out and so you either interrupt or you're going, don't say it, just don't interrupt, don't interrupt, don't interrupt. And then you say it too late. So the conversation's moved on then you drop your thought in. And so people tend to think you're a bit, bit odd. So much of this makes sense. We used to sit around the dinner table and he would change the subject constantly. Yeah. You think, but, but we were talking about that and now you're asking what we're going to do in the garden after lunch. There was nothing linear about it. And of course... Yeah not knowing anything we used to tease them about it yeah. which is awful really yeah well this is a thing you know you don't know what you don't know so you do um, know. yeah they say that um, people with ADHD are younger than so they're about I, I'm not sure exactly what it is but it's I think it's about five years younger so you you don't tend to have the same interests as your peers I used to watch kids tv in my early 20s you know because um I just liked it and you look him at my lane he's an adult and he still likes spongebob yeah 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 oh my gosh I don't know um, if I can put that in I'll have to ask him yeah no it's one of the things I feel slightly concerned about as we discuss it is 
some of the traits that you describe could quite possibly be present in someone who doesn't have ADHD. So at what point do you say that bit's the ADHD and that bit really is actually me? Absolutely. So everybody in their life will go through periods where they struggle with the same kind of issues, you know, um, period of very like high anxiety or um, everybody will be familiar with the traits. But the issue is, is when you have lived with the traits your entire life and they have actually caused you problems your entire life. So I I didn't do anywhere near as well as expected at school. Um, I didn't, you know, I did actually really poorly on my A-levels. The more the, the more the pressure and the stress went up uh, and the more independent work I had to do, the less, the you know, the less well I did. Um, and I, um, I dropped out of uni. Um, I changed jobs regularly because I'd get bored. So then I'd start a new job, do that for a bit, and then get bored. Um, they liken it to um, uh, um, that the ADHD brain likes to learn. So you learn, and then when you've learnt it, you get bored. Um, so, so you have fads. Yeah, um, mm. they're called hyperfocuses. Thank you. Um, that's right, hyperfocus. Uh, and that's when you get very, very, very into something. And you might get... The problem is that you, you might get into something. So say you um, say you have work the next day, but you start doing, I don't know, maybe I was very into crafting, so maybe I'd start painting. And you get so into it that, you know, you might go six hours without going to the loo or eating or drinking anything. Um, and you kind of come out of it and you're like, oh my gosh, it's three in the morning and I've got work at eight. Um, you, you get totally absorbed in it and lost in it and and so these things actually have a detrimental effect on your life people lose jobs they um you know it, it it's huge they they uh, lose their license for speeding they um you know i had severe postnatal depression that my psychiatrist told me actually uh, probably wasn't postnatal depression at all it was my adhd getting worse and had I been diagnosed and medicated, they would have upped my medication to combat the hormones. Um, oh, and wow. actually, I mean, it really, it, it gets to the point where um, of suicide. People end up suicidal from, from it. And so I talk about it now and I talk about it very matter-of-factly. And I, um, you know, this is what I do. I, I, I try to educate from my own personal experience. And um but actually there were points in my life where I was so low from all of these things that that's when it when it becomes a lot it is a lifelong condition so yes everybody will experience some of those traits in their life but it will not affect their entire life um everything in their entire life so how would somebody listening be able to discern whether they're somebody who has a few of those traits and yeah that's really hard or who should probably pursue a diagnosis um i think do do research you know go there's self-tests that you can do i've got 
a blog post with a self-test in that's taken from another website. Attitude website is very good. There's, there's a lot of information out there. I think you would know if it was something that really affected you. Because if you think, oh yeah, I can relate to them. I had a period last summer where I was very stressed, and but I uh, went to the doctor and I got antidepressants and then I got better and now I feel feel okay again. It's if it's consistently affected you through your life. And I think people know and they go and research and they, they read and read and read, but really the, the main thing is convincing yourself. That is the hardest thing. And then once you've got that inner conviction, I suppose it's a matter of persuading your doctor. Yes, and and sometimes, because it's very hard to have that inner conviction, and you, I felt very much like, you know, the doctor's an expert. This is somebody that's managed to go all the way through education, through university, and has a proper job, so they're a proper adult. And if they say to me, no, you're wrong, it's so hard to go, actually. And and I was like that on the phone. I was like, actually, I, I know you're a doctor and like I really feel this and I have done a lot of research. And I'd even, you know, made long lists of the reasons, like I'd got my evidence together because I felt so much lower on the adult scale than the doctor. So, so it's like the crusade for it. Yeah, yeah. And mm. and a lot of people um, struggle. And that's why there's huge, you know, movements at the moment to, to change the system, to make it easier. Because it is very serious. And it, it's, you know, and I think... As you know, there's a lot of jokes like, oh, squirrel, like, oh, shiny, which is a part of it. You know, my nickname when I was younger was magpie because I just loved everything glittery and shiny and because it, it, it gives me dopamine, still does now. So I'd be like, oh, sequin dress, I need that. Um, but for me, the main thing was knowing that as soon as I knew what it was and I knew about ADHD and I learned about it, instead of going, you know, why have I bought another sequin dress and I'm terrible and it didn't fit and I didn't send it back and now it's guilting me from the from the wardrobe. I can say, oh, um, I was feeling upset because of this and so that was my coping mechanism to get the dress and, you know, I haven't sent it back but I can forgive myself. I think that's the top thing of all is when you find out about ADHD and you, and you understand about it and you learn about it, you can forgive yourself. Wow, what a relief. Yeah. So So I know that a lot of people listening to this are going to feel like, oh gosh, that's me, or that's so-and-so, and and it's really helpful to speak to parents about this sort of thing, because as you say, there's a lot of late diagnosis. But what would you suggest people look out for in a child? Um, So, yeah, I mean, with children, kind of similar to what you were saying, like maybe interrupting a lot, daydreaming, that could be a big one. Possibly when you you sit down to do their homework with them, maybe they'll get very angry. Not doing as well in school. Constantly moving, you know, like fidgeting with things or fidgeting around in their seat all the time. You know, like body constantly moving. Watch out for social difficulties, bullying, things like that. A lot of what you've just said absolutely falls into how you've described ADHD and how I would have experienced one of my children. But it would also describe one of my kids on a bad day or somebody not wanting to do their homework or difficulties at school. It's that discernment again, isn't it? It's probably looking at it over... Because 
it's not something so so again you know like like you say on a bad day it's if it's all the time you know if you're seeing this all the time if if every time you sit down to watch a film your child is moving around loads and gets bored and wanders off every time or interrupts it or, or um you know and and if they're starting to get sad because their teacher's always telling them to stop interrupting, stop singing, stop humming, stop tapping. It's looking at the bigger picture. Mm. So, you know, of course it's going to be hard to recognise, especially because children and girls, girls especially, become exceptional at masking. So masking is literally kind of a bit like the personality chameleon. You put on a mask emotional dysregulation is a big one so if your child i think it's a little bit like the coke bottle effect so all day at school it's like they've been shaken up and then they come home and they blow up and if this is happening regularly because they're trying so hard in school they're trying to sit still they're trying to make eye contact they're trying to concentrate they're trying to focus just just focus so um you know they're they're trying to make friends they're trying to understand why they're not making friends so all day this is going on and and also um things like there's lots of links with sensory issues as well so if the school's very loud or classroom they're in was really quiet the, all of these things kind of contribute and they can come home and, and blow up. With the, I've just done a, a tour with a, another podcast and it was called the Too Much Tour. You're constantly told that you're too much, you're too loud, you're too excitable, you talk too much, you you know, you know, hear this all the time, that's the message you get. And so it's a lot you, to hear all day, isn't well, it? Well, you get quieter and quieter. That's yeah. what, what happens, I think, especially with girls. So all of this propelled you to mm-hmm. start a blog, yeah? I was blogging already. You were blogging anyway? Yeah. So what was your blog about? It was about parenting yeah. and um, mental health. I started my blog because I didn't feel like the other parents. I didn't feel like the other mums. And uh, I always felt really... It made me feel bad. I'd see all these, you know, perfect houses and perfect matching clothes clean clothed you children should have come around here um, <laughs> really good. well this is it so I started my blog to give a real parenting so you know I'd take a picture and then I'd zoom out to show that I'd literally just clean that area to make oh, that well picture done. and then I you know started talking about mental health it was a bit of everything really so I was already talking about mental health I already had a platform and when I got diagnosed with ADHD it did actually take me some time to go public did it? It did, because of the stigmas. Yeah, I mean, I'd blogged about my postnatal depression, I'd blogged about my hysterectomy, like, all these things. And I still felt this kind of fear. But I watched a video um, about... It was in a family in America, they make a lot of videos, and it was about, you know, this is a neurological condition. There's no shame in it. And the more we talk about it, the more other people feel comfortable talking about it. And I then wrote about it on my blog... I've, you know, done a lot of things now. Um, I've been on TV and things, just raising awareness. So it was a natural extension from me talking about mental health. Yeah. And your blog is called Pink Pear Bear. Yes. And I'll put in the show notes where they can find you on yeah. TikTok and Instagram and so on. 
But you also feel that exercise has played a big part for you, don't you? Massively. Talk to us us about that. Yeah, so I've used exercise not knowing. Exercise does also give you dopamine. Um, So, yeah, and endorphins and things. But I very much struggled with team sports uh, because I felt like I was letting people down. If I wasn't very good, I was very self-conscious. And I'd get very into something and then get bored and drop it. So, um, yeah, I got into running February of one year couldn't even run to the end of my road and then I did a half marathon in the September of the same year and then I didn't run again so exercise has always helped me and it's helped me with my anxiety and things in the lockdown I started with a personal trainer and that that was a big part of helping me and we talked and decided to open a gym where it was very fun and colorful and we change up the exercise regularly and add things to the timetable and it's uh, somewhere you can just be yourself and be very comfortable So I wanted to give people what I needed, which is a safe space to come and exercise. So, um, yeah, so that was our little venture. It's amazing, Louise. You you know, you've been on a journey of self-discovery. You've shared at the point of feeling ashamed. You've managed to break through and share your experiences. You have... A huge following online, don't you? Um, yeah, and yeah. A community. Yeah. And you've started a gym in order to yeah. <laughs> support other people. You put your money where your mouth is, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And I think a big part of that is is ADHD. I think there's a bit of a joke. I'm, I don't. I haven't got it exactly right, but people with ADHD. Um, either end up in like prison or being a change maker you know that's the kind of the bit of the joke and although there are a lot of negatives that comes I feel from not knowing what you're up against and so I feel like now I can take the positives and and that is you know jumping into things with your eyes closed two-footed <laughs> well it's interesting because we balanced the microphone on a book by Brene Brown called The Gifts of Imperfection yeah. and that's what happens doesn't it when yeah. life serves us one thing we can find the gold can't we yeah and run with that and realizing that you, you're not going to be perfect so you might as well just try so it's a bad benchmark it's a trap not a goal oh that, I've not heard that I like that <laughs> You'll be pleased to hear I did check in with my child before exposing his love of Spongebob. I hope you found that helpful and do check Louise out online, Pink Pear Bear on the blog and TikTok. If you're in Cheltenham, the gym is solace and I'm hoping to catch a class this week and catch the vibe. And do come and find me with a comment or a question or to find a book or book a session. I'm the Courageous Mama everywhere, the pod, the blog, Instagram and email at gmail.com.